What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Conversation on TYT. I am your sometimes host, Francesca Fiorentini, quarantined, quarantined, if you will, in my home. Uh, it's good to have you with us. We have such an amazing guest. You might have seen her because she is a regular contributor to TYT. She is an attorney and now an author of the book, Staying in the Game, The Playbook for Beating Workplace Sexual Harassment. Please welcome Adrian Lawrence. Adrian. Hey, thank you for having me, Francesca. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, this book, of course, uh, I would love to have you anyway, but this book is incredible. Um, it is a must read. It's a must have. I started reading it and I'm like, I need to buy this for everyone I know. Aww. It should be in every home. It should be in every workplace. And now I just want a comic book version and I hope that happens. Yes. Well, first I'm working on the coloring book version. That'll, that'll come first and then we'll do comic book. But yeah, no, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, that yeah. was kind of my goal in putting something out there that can be accessible to everybody. Absolutely. And it, and it really is. And it's um, a lot that you go through, um, through everything from how to identify a workplace that might be toxic or have red flags to personally what happens when you are sexually harassed um, to then actually filing a complaint and whether it's a legal complaint, whether it's an HR complaint. I mean, it's so comprehensive. And it also is chock full of examples from your personal life even. And I want to get into it all. But first, um, when we think about like Me Too and sexual harassment, we often focus on like uh, the predator, right? And the, the, the perpetrator, if you will. Um, but this doesn't. This book focuses on the target of sexual harassment. Um, why, why write it for those folks? So uh, when I had my uh, sexual harassment experience at ESPN, and that wasn't my first experience with sexual harassment, but I found myself um, kind of just at that point where it's like I really wanted guidance and I wanted good guidance that was uh, research-backed and completely sound, and there was nothing out there. I looked for books, uh, and everything I found was either a memoir or a legal reference manual, and even though I'm an attorney, these legal manuals, they don't really help because sexual harassment is rarely a legal issue. So mm -hmm. I figured I'd go ahead and just write the book that I wanted, and that's what I did. That's great. I mean, I think that's a really big question that's been on my mind, especially as you see um, a lot of the haggling over your sexual harassment cases really becoming such an online discussion and a very much a he said, she said discussion. Um, that makes me question the legal framework of sexual harassment anyway. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts. I know this book is really not um, a legal how-to, but you do address it. And as a, an attorney, I just wanted to ask, like, like what, what's the importance of having a legal framework for sexual harassment and how is it falling short? So I would say for the everyday individual, they really do not need a legal framework for sexual harassment. You know, leave that stuff to the lawyers. There's a reason you have to go to school and get a license and, you know, stay up on your credits because the law is constantly evolving and changing. And also every jurisdiction is different. Mm -hmm. So having a legal framework as an everyday person is not what is critical. It's largely understanding behavioral uh, impact and how I interact with you and you interact with me and how I can deal with you without being retaliated against. Um, but if we do stay just on the legal issue and looking at how um, pretty much the courts are evolving and also the standard for sexual harassment, it's, it's the hottest mess you've ever seen. Um, for instance, as I talk about in my book, uh, the fact is that the legal standard in sexual harassment requires me 
to show that the behavior was unwelcomed. You know, it's kind of the thought of, I'm at a workplace. I came here to work. I did not come here to be hit on or to be put down or for someone to sexually come on to me. So I, why I have to prove that right. I didn't welcome it is crazy. You should have to prove that I was down for you to, you know, put your tongue in my ear when I really just came to work to work on some spreadsheets, you know? Right. So, um, but the law is unfortunately written to favor men um, and also big corporations. So that's in part why the things in my book are so important because it teaches you how to navigate that and gives you the skills and the strategies so you can really kind of just be a badass and kick butt when it comes to dealing with that issue since the reality is HR, your coworkers and colleagues and everyone else is generally not necessarily going to be on your side. Absolutely. And it, this is like, I mean, it's like a, a weed whacker through the in, entire maze of what you will come up against um, from the actual harassment itself to any of the barriers that stand in your way. And, and it's, it's so good. Um, and so just broadly, how did you do the research for this? Who did you talk to? What kinds of people? So I talked to everyone from porn stars to politicians. I really went deep in terms of seeing what people's work experiences are like, how they handled issues, what was um, productive for them. I also talked to the people who actually specialize in this and have degrees. Um, sociologists, they really have the information and it's very meaty. And so I would interview, call people, talk to them, uh, exchange emails, just really dig in and figure out what was best and what was most productive and could be helpful for everyone uh, who would be reading the book. But I kept it very easy to understand and super low key and kind of fun at times. So that that well, is something I'm pretty proud of. Uh, I really uh, I agree. And I think you accomplished all of that. Um, I, I really appreciate the way it's super proactive. I think we often hear sexual harassment stories from a very passive or um, sort of after the fact uh, kind of way. And again, it's very memoir based. This is so active. It is a manual, like you said. And so I just want to go into some of the, I'm sure th some of the things you learned from your own personal experiences, but also through talking to sociologists, psychologists, um, and other people who've dealt with this, um, like all the different types of harassers. I love when you go through, Adrian literally goes through all the different types of harassers. Um, you've got the a-hole adjacent and the shameless dude. And two of the things that I noticed about those two archetypes of harassers is that you say that you should address it. And I found that like really surprising. Okay, so you just say, tell them. And so talk to me a little bit about that. Why address the harassment? So it's interesting you bring this up. Um, so those kind of prototypes that I've identified um, that is something that I came up with in terms of my own personal life experience and talking with everyone and doing all the research, because these were the individuals we saw continue to pop up in every workplace and that I have seen no matter what coast I'm on or industry I'm in. So I was like, you know what? I can easily categorize these people based on their patterns of behavior. And it would be super helpful to give readers an idea and tell them you know, who these people are so that they can hopefully identify them in their work life. And the things that um, I advise people on how to handle it, those deal largely with the behavioral aspects of how that individual, how that harass hole approaches things. Um, for instance, uh, a-hole adjacent, as you mentioned, um, is someone who is borderline, who's always that kind of iffy guy. Like for instance, a um, a lawyer I worked with, he gave me a gift card to a hotel 
that did not have a spa. It didn't have uh, any place to eat. It could only be used on a room there. And it was a local hotel that did not have a chain. Uh, you know, those borderline things that make you go, yeah, I, I know what you're doing, yet they love to deny it and say you're reading too much into things. Um, so a reason to be direct and candid in approaching it with them is because they feed off of the uncertainty and continuing to push the envelope and push boundaries. And so by letting them know, hey, this isn't OK and I see what you're doing, that should shut them down because, hey, you're really taking away their ability to claim, you know, they really didn't know and my bad. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I think that, and of course you talk about, you know, the ways that patriarchy and sexism enforce um, gender roles so that women sort of keep their mouths shut or, um, and especially in a workplace environment, try to preserve their jobs and believe that keeping their mouth shut, you know, is is the better way to go about things, um, you know, because you don't want to cause waves and you're also scared and you need the money. And I love, I love all of the personal examples you give and you just reclaim them and kind of learn learn after every single one of them from the, you know, creepy attorney, uh, who, who you were interned with all summer, who gave you an ulcer. Love that story. Um, terrible story, but it's a good story. And then I thought something that was really practical, um, was your stealth follow-up after, uh, you were propositioned, I believe by someone who you thought just wanted to write an article with you. Tell me about the stealth follow-up. Uh, so that largely comes from my legal experience and creating situations where it's not he said, she said, because that's really the leverage that these companies and these harassholes have is the fact that people lie and people lie all the time. And so to lock that in, in terms of these are the facts and the events and we remember what happened, it's the stealth follow up in terms of maybe sending someone a message that you know is going to provoke a response so I can get confirmation because should down the line something happen and he claimed it happened one way, you will have some documented evidence to say, hey, here's the text message chain where he admitted doing X, Y, and Z. There is no question. Because as we see in this Me Too movement, it's largely he said, she said. And unfortunately, these women need hundreds and hundreds of women to come forward in order for society to actually act and do something. Right. And so, you know, it's the hope of, hey, having this evidence will be helpful. Um, and it may not necessarily get the person fired, but at least it'll get you a really good settlement. That's for sure. And you did have that experience, right? I mean, uh, when you sued ESPN for sexual harassment, um, you had been through this before. Can you just tell me about that experience and, and what you learned from it? Uh, well, it was, um, it's something I had been through and, you know, I had kind of always sheepishly kind of gone about my way. There were times I did stand up for myself and there were times that I reported people, um, for nonsense, but in the situation with ESPN, I decided, you know what, I'm going to stand up because this is completely and totally disrespectful and I will not let you speak of me as though there is some kind of romantic in inter engagement between us when uh, the individual in question was really just trying to, I guess, manipulate me into something romantic, mm. um, which honestly completely came out of the blue for me because um, just very different levels. But it was an experience that really woke me up because the thing is, is I operate on logic and it doesn't seem logical for me for companies to allow these harass holes to abound and run amok. Uh, because essentially they're wasting company resources by distracting me from doing my job 
And also they are very expensive in terms of settlements and for all the other reasons I explain in my book. And so expecting a company to just do what's logical, which is tell this person to stop, apparently that was too much to ask. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of having to stand up for yourself. Absolutely. And and with this book, I think you have a lot that you need. Not everything, um, but a lot. Uh, I wanted to ask you about red flags versus green flags when it comes to working environments. What's like a red flag for a workplace um, that you can, when, when you know that maybe this is not the safest place um, and that maybe th- this place protects harassment? So one of the very, very well-known and established red flags is what I call dude overload. That's where there are an exponential number of men in the workplace compared to women. Unfortunately, the research has confirmed, completely doubled down confirmed the fact that when there aren't a sufficient number of women in that environment, then men pretty much act like barbaric heathens and they engage in um, sexual harassment, a lot of harassment and nonsense. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's something that you will want to definitely keep in mind if you're entering an all-male space that there is a very, very high likelihood that you will suffer sexual harassment uh, and to be prepared for it. Uh, The thing is, we don't want women or people um, labeled as others to avoid those kind of homogenous environments just because they are homogenous. Mm -hmm. We do need to incorporate more people into that who are different. And that's very important for our entire workforce and also for gender equality and racial equality as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's such a double-edged sword and you, or double-edged sword or chicken or the egg type thing where it's like you, you point out that women specifically going into um, industries that are dominated by men. And I know because I'm a stand-up comic and I'm very familiar with that, you know, women in STEM or women in, you know, sports outlets and news outlets, like that it's a chicken or the egg situation because you the representation is super important, but then also you know you're going to be battling even more potential sexual harassment um, and misconduct. Uh, I, I guess I wanted to know what, um, by the way, so let me just say for the viewers that all the other categories of like the things to watch out for are hilarious too, like uh, rainbows and unicorns, which was very funny, which was like, if someone, if you're like, oh, what is it like working at blankety blank, you know, corporation? And they're like, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. Mm, My boss is really special. Uh, Adrian says that is a red flag. Um, It's it's one of those things where, you know, people are, all they do is give glowing reviews and it's wonderful. It's a job there should be something potentially negative being said about the experience or maybe someone who works there. The fact that this person is just glowing reviews, no, 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 they hide some. <laughs> now, what about, um, what about feelings of wanting to quit? You know, I think that a lot of people, when they face sexual harassment, they think about the path of least resistance, right? It's like, you know what, it'll be easier if I either keep my head down and don't say anything or deal with it, which could lead to something worse, or I'm just going to leave. In fact, maybe I'll leave the entire industry. What, how do you address that? Uh, you know, it's really difficult because the vast majority of people who experience sexual harassment end up leaving their job. And some definitely do leave their careers in its entirety, um, especially given maybe how significant um, the experience was for them. And that's really problematic because it essentially gives the power to harass holes. They're using power and um, using maybe gender or sex 
to make you so uncomfortable or um, subjugate you in a way where it can break your spirit and you can want to leave that entire industry. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we need people to understand, number one, what is going on. Uh, Research shows that if you understand why that person is doing these power plays or coming on to you, then it's actually a lot easier psychologically to cope. And that'll make it more likely that you stay in your job and stay in your position. And you're able to kind of keep your head on straight through the entire unfortunate experience. Uh, But the thing is, uh, people really just need to know and be fully informed about what sexual harassment really looks like and really is. Because the vast majority of people have no idea. And they kind of just feel like maybe they're bullied out of a job when really what happened was a form of sexual harassment. Mm. Right. And I think that what you go through in this book is also how to read people, kind of just how to understand who you're talking to, who you work with, and a little bit how to play it. And and honestly, you know, it's it's the manual we need because it really does, rather than just be a legal framework, um, it helps us tomorrow, today, yesterday, rather than waiting on the world to change. You're like, no, 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 this is what you need to be equipped with. Um I, I had a question about, you know, HR departments. You know, I in my personal life, I had a situation where I didn't actually tell HR because I knew that they would not handle it well. That what I needed was for them to tell this person that he needed to stop, but that I didn't want to get him fired. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I knew that this H depart- HR department was so ham-fisted that they would have fired him. And he was not an he was not a superior to me, right? Yeah. Um, and he was someone who just did not, he was ignorant. He didn't understand. Um, and eventually I had to personally confront him and talk to him and it was fine. It worked, it worked. I did not feel threatened. It was it was actually really great. I didn't get anyone involved, but what are there better HR departments and worse HR departments? I don't know. What's, what have you heard from the people you interviewed? So, um, it does really depend on the work environment. I'd say the vast majority of HR departments do fall short because in part they treat sexual harassment as though it is a legal issue. And so, you know, it's like, you know, they put the walls up as opposed to treating it as though it is a behavioral issue because that's exactly what it is. Mm. So just as managers handle issues of behavior of maybe tardiness, they also need to handle sexual harassment the same kind of way in terms of you're bullying that person, you need to leave them alone instead of treating it like a legal issue. Because of course, when a business faces a potential threat of uh, litigation in some way, you know, they'll go full guns on and they really don't look at the heart of the issue when it can be dismissed so easily by just telling the person, hey, that behavior is not cool. Don't do that. Let's just move on. And right. that's the unfortunate part of um, sexual harassment in workplaces. Plus, we live in a society that's patriarchal. So there's almost this given thought that men are entitled to our bodies or maybe we just can't hack it emotionally and maybe we're too soft. And Mm -hmm. that's also very problematic because that'll play out with HR departments where they just said, like ESPN, my experience at ESPN, was the, um, that's just how it works here. You're going to have to get used to it. And so Mm -hmm. it almost ends up going back to, that's why you have to make sure the kind of workplace you're going into, uh, you got to look for those red, green, yellow flags so you have a good idea of what you're getting into. Can I just follow up by asking you, I know you mentioned about um, how labor unions can be a good indicator uh, of a healthy workplace that might have better sexual uh, sexual harassment or assault policy and um, practices. 
what is what specifically um I forgot I'm trying to find where you mentioned that um what's the difference of having um you call them let's see let's see uh, sexual harassment complaint protocols like what what are better protocols than just looking at this legalistic framework um, for instance, with unions, um, one protocol that's very helpful is having a representative there to represent your rights so that you're not alone. It's essentially, you know, you have a buddy to come with you. Um, also, so you're not gaslit in the situation. The thing I think some people do not really fully appreciate, though, with unions that they can get a little shocked about is that if one employee uh, or if an employee is in a union, then the harassment is probably in that same union. And that individual is also entitled to rights. So right. they may also have a buddy. But the good thing is to have someone looking out for your rights and mediating and making sure that the company or the agency or government employer gives you uh, the rights and the respect that you are entitled to in whatever investigation is conducted or however the sexual harassment is handled. Adrian, um, where... Where did you find the strength to do this? Were you just bursting with stories and were like, I have to write this manual or or that's it? Like, what compelled you? What gave you that strength? You know, it was the experience of having been at ESPN and having my lawsuit out there. And I was in a situation where just so many people had reached out to me for help and they needed answers. And then on top of that, you know, there were so many of my colleagues uh, that their careers became jeopardized because they tried to help me behind closed doors. And I end up having to use my game theory strategies to put them in situations so that, you know, they could get an exit package um, that met their needs or they could get back in the industry and not get blacklisted. And there were just so many issues that we needed answers for. So mm -hmm. I thought, my God, I just need to get those answers and give them to the world. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, Adrienne Lawrence, her book, Staying in the Game, The Playbook for Beating Workplace Sexual Harassment. Get this book. Get it for everyone you know and love. It is so smart. It is so funny. Thank you so much, Adrienne. Thank you. All right. That does it for the conversation. I am Francesca Fiorentini, and uh, it's been real. Bye-bye.